0: Turn, if you will, to Hebrews 10. In a few weeks, we're going to be uh, giving you some instruction and to prepare you. In the month of October, they finally decided to replace this road out in front of us. And uh, after all these years, it's caving in, caving in. And so they're going to begin that project I think it's October 5th. It's on a Monday. and uh, uh, Ron Hughes is something that we're going to teach you. It's going to be a little frustrating in the month of October. and we'll be I'm just giving you like kind of a heads up. We'll be doing that it lasts last four weeks to five weeks, and then we'll, we'll have a brand new road out there and finally get into the 21st century. Okay? Turn there to Hebrews 10. And uh, this is a major hinge in the book of Revelation, not Revelation, but Hebrews. We've been looking at the past, what Christ has done, how he's exceeded everything the law ever said. He's a better priest, better sacrifice, better everything. And so he's been laying that down for 10 chapters. And he tells you not only is he that, But, and we'll repeat, and we'll look at what he has done in us because of the cross. And then he's going to wind up here giving us in this flow three exhortations, and we want to look at those in some detail. But let's begin with verse 19. Therefore, and when you see therefore in the Bible, what should you ask? Brilliant, brilliant. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, since this is true, what ought we to do? And then just think of a green salad, three lettuce, You ready? You didn't get it. Let us, let us. Now watch this. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith and with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with tear water. Let us hold fast. There's a second. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope Two things to bring us up to these exhortations. The work Christ has done for us. Two, the work that Christ has done in us. And then three, the work he wants us to do in response to him. So the work he's done for us, summarizing, bringing up, I think if you thought of three words, blood, body, high priest. All the way through Hebrews, he's saying Christ's blood is superior to animal blood. Animal blood can never forgive and get rid of sin. Christ has come, one sacrifice for all time, it down. Your sins have been dealt with by the blood, the violent, vicious death of Christ on behalf of our sins. The blood of Christ. The body of Christ, he says here, is likened unto the curtain that kept you out of the presence of God. If you knew the Old Testament furnishings, you know you've got the tent, and then you go into the first outer court, and we've got the table of shoe bread, we've got the candelabra, we've got the laver, we've got the brazen altar, uh, all of that in there. But to go into the Holy of Holies, you have the inner curtain that only the high priest could enter once a year for no more than five hours because of the many sacrifices that occurred. And to get beyond that, brought you to the Ark of the Covenant, the Shekinah glory dwelling over the mercy seat And here the writer says, Christ is the curtain that had to be rent to get you into the presence of God. And he has died and his body has been rent, as it were, so that all divine obstacles to you ever getting into the presence of God have been removed. This is phenomenal to say this to A Jew. You know, if you told a Jew, draw nigh to God, get into his presence. Imagine this. I'm the high priest, and a descendant of Moab comes to me. Uh, I like to get into God's presence. I say, "Uh, you can't. He told the descendants of Moab, for 10 generations, you are forbidden to even be around the tabernacle or around any temple. There's a curse on you. So you're from the wrong tribe. Move on. Well, I'm a Reubenite, and I want to get in. Uh, You're the tribe of Reuben. uh, We can't get you in. Why not? I'm a Jew. Uh, You've got to be of the tribe of Levi. And then eventually a Levite comes and says, hey, I want to get into the presence. Yeah, I'm sorry, you can't. Why not? I'm a Levite. Are you of the household of Aaron? "Uh, uh, No. And then you're of the household of Aaron, and and only one is picked. So the whole nation, once a year, have the sense we get into God's presence without anybody being killed. And now the writer of Hebrews is saying to these believers that have trusted Christ, you've been delivered from the old system. A new system has come. My blood has sacrificed and satisfied God. My body has been rent. That's the curtain that held you out. I'm the way, the new and living way unto God. And by the way, I am the household priest that runs this whole thing, I'm up here. You can get into the very third heaven now. Matter of fact, I've arranged it so you can live with me in the third heaven forever. you talk about living in God's presence. All this happened from blood, body, and him being the high priest. Now, he goes on to say, uh, but the blood on the cross, if it stayed there and was never applied to you, you could never approach God. And so he lets them know this blood had to be applied by faith. And he tells them in chapter 9, the blood of Christ, when taken by faith, has cleansed your conscience. He's sanctified you. said that in chapter 10. He's perfected you. He's forgiven our sins. He's appearing in heaven for us. He put away our sins. He made a new covenant with his people in which he did a work inside you and he said, I won't ever remember your sins again. They're put forever behind you. So that we are a people that not only believe the cross, but faith receives the benefits of what Christ did. It's been applied to our heart. So then he lays this down and he says, But this is how I want you to respond to this, God. How should I respond? This is great, all this theology that we've been wading through, chapter after chapter. What does God want me to do? He wants you to draw near. He wants you to draw near. And listen to what he says. How you're to draw near. He says... Watch now. He says, we come by the new, and you know the word new, the literal meaning of it meant freshly slain. It's actually fresh. We come to a fresh way, and, and it's a living way. We don't come by killing animals anymore. We come through a living Christ. That he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And now we have this great high priest over the house of God. Let us draw near with a true heart. And a true heart simply means no duplicity, sincere. You're not divided. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and body, and you come sincerely. When you read in the Old Testament, he had a perfect heart toward God. Nobody is perfect. That is without sin. But the idea was they were sincere. They were loyal in the heart to God, even with all the, even David. He's a man after my own heart. He said, boy, he doesn't look like it to me. God said it, not you. God said it. Overall, his sin was the exception. His sin, God forgave, but his overall bent was he had a heart for God. And here he said, come with a sincere heart, And then he wants you to come in full assurance of faith. That is, he doesn't want you to come doubting all the way. Does he really mean it? Is this really ours? He said, I want you to be assured fully, completely, on the basis of what Christ has done, God wants you to come. And you can come, no fear, no trepidation. Chapter 4, he said, come boldly. Come with confidence. Not, not uh, I, I don't know if it'll work. I, I, ooh, we've been doing animals. I, I've never seen this. Way. Come holding with full assurance that what he has said, he will do. So you just hold on to it. And then... We are people who've had our hearts sprinkled with the blood. The blood of Christ has been applied to us, and our bodies are clean. Now remember, the Old Testament priests were always washing at the laver, all clean, clean, clean. Imagine staying clean in that culture without a shower, without a washing machine. They said, you gotta wash your body talked about the sons of Aaron. When they entered their duties, they sprinkle blood, put on the ear, put on the forehead, blood would be applied. And then be sure you bathe, you bathe, you bathe. Now he says to you, in God's sight, child of God, He says the blood has been applied to your heart and he has cleansed you in the sight of God. You've had the bath of regeneration and you come now as clean, fit, and invited to come into the presence of God. He's qualified you to do it. And he's taking care of your evil conscience. And he says, draw, draw near to God. It's an amazing thing that James four four or rather four eight says, draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Let me ask you, what all has God done to draw nigh to you? Well, Bethlehem, we could start there. He left the throne came to a manger, in Hebrews 10:5 through8, "You're sick and tired of sacrifices, so you prepared a body for me, and I've come to fulfill thy will and the volume. Why are you coming? I want people to know me. I want people to be able to come to God. I'm tired of people going to hell. I'm going to send my son to change the course of history. Oh, uh, by the way, Bethlehem's not far enough. Uh, I'm going to meet you in Gethsemane. I'm going to meet you at Golgotha. I'm going to meet you at an empty tomb that he occupied for three days. I'm going to go back to heaven. All of this, he said, I came to seek and to save that which was lost. Do you think God has gone out of his way to draw nigh to you? He's come within reach. We've seen God. We've touched God, John says. We've heard him. For 33 years, we examined him, heard him, never caught him. He came close. Now God says to you and I, you reciprocate and draw nigh to God. How do you draw nigh to God? Well, he said, having your heart taken care of, your conscience. I think it's interesting, in drawing nigh, have you ever been in a group, just to show that this drawing nigh isn't going to a place? Or go to Jerusalem, no, 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 no. Drawing nigh is in your heart, vertically, you can be in the midst of a, a mall, and you can be having fellowship and communion with God. You can be in this building and not be drawing nigh. I, drawing nigh is not spatial. I had a man tell me one time, said, uh, I prayed, God, be with us. Um, let us sense your presence. And he said, well, I thought God was omnipresent. That's an unscriptural prayer. And I said, well, he's told me to draw nigh. How do you draw nigh to someone that's everywhere? If I make my bed in hell, thou art there. Where can I go that he's not? In the Psalmist 139, he said, if I to take the wings of the morning, I'd find you there. If I should go the highest heights, I'd find you there. Go the lowest depths, you're there. So how do you draw nigh to someone that's everywhere? Can't be spatial. It's relational. It's relational. You see, um, you, you, you get in a home that's not doing good, in a marriage that's in trouble, a marriage that's cooled off and going astray, you can say, we're still together spatially, but we're not together relationally. And that great country theologian said, there's a stranger in my house. I love the arrangement. But it's a sad story. Ronnie Mills said, there's a stranger in my house. I'm looking at you, babe, and spatially, we're sharing the same bed, we're sharing the same kitchen table, but somebody else is in this house besides me. What is it? You're carrying on a relationship with another man in your heart, and my home is falling to a stranger in this house. The relationship has been intercepted. There's a rival, there's a rival. God kept calling Israel his wife and the nations were trying to seduce his wife. They were trying to give rival pleasures. Seek our gods, seek our ways. And God said, draw draw nigh to me, draw nigh to me. It's not spatial, it's relational. Well, the Jews got so good at religion Uh, They do all the sacrifices, all the ceremonies, and Isaiah said, wait, wait, stop, stop. I'm sick of your sacrifices, and I'm sick of you coming to me with lips whose hearts are far away. I love you, babe. No, you don't. You know you're lying. It's just a cliche. I love you, Jesus, But, but you know, I'm going to live with her anyway. I'm going to stay in an immoral life, but I sure love you, Jesus. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Well, what's, uh, what's obedience got to do with it? Well, ask Tina. What's love got to do with it? Huh? What's love got to do with it? Let's just do it. Let's just get it over with. I I don't want to love you, babe. I just want you to give me a one-night fix. Ain't any love involved here. And here he says, draw nigh to God. He, He provided the sacrifice. He provided the cleansing within us. He's done a work in us. Now, what does he want the regenerate heart to do? I want you, O God, like a deer that is panting for water in a dry place. I long to be in your courts. I long to have fellowship with you. I want a relationship with God. Can you lose it? Can you lose that closeness? Ephesus, you used to love me, but you don't anymore. You've left the first love. How can I get back? Repent? Do your first works all over again and ask me to renew you, for you've lost the first love. How did you get lukewarm, Laodicea? We we just cooled off degree by degree. And now... uh, But while we stay in church every week, we keep, um, up. a matter of fact, we're still on the board. We just don't love God like we did when we first got. We got over it. Get over it. You're not supposed to be getting over the relationship. You're supposed to say, this is just beginning in time, what I'm going to be doing for eternity. I had to see a film years ago when I was at seminary, Howard Hendricks assigned it, and it was called The Chosen, and it was a film about uh, Zionists going back to Israel in 1948, the liberal Jew and the radical, maybe orthodox Jew, and it was a moving story of, of all, the founding of Israel as a state and all like that. And so it was showing all the diversity of opinions in the Jewish community and how hard it was to bring them together in 1948. But as it went and showed all this strife, even in the Jewish community, at the end of the film, it had a closing line that was right there on the screen, never forget it, that a, it was the words of a Jewish father to a son who had left and broken relationships with him and his wife, gone in a tiff, and he wanted to make things right, and so he made contact with his dad, and he said, I'd I, I like to be reconciled. I'd like to come back, if that's okay with you. And on the screen, they put this. The Jewish father's comment was, you come as far as you can, and I'll come the rest of the way. Are you here and you feel far, far from God even though you're in a a church gathering? You may have been hiding a wedge of gold in your heart and you've been fostering a secret sin and a secret life and you're here spatially, but you're not there. The old songwriter, you're far, far from home and we would... Sing pleading songs. Come home. Come home. You're still a son, even if you are sleeping with the hogs. What's a son sleeping with hogs for? What's a son eating corn husks for? A son in the wrong place. Get back to your father. Get back to your father. Take me back where I first. Received you. Take me back. Much of God's church is in these cold, lukewarm days, backslidden and hard. They're far from God, far from where they've known him before. They've got a memory of where they used to have a heartburn. Let us respond to this Savior. Draw nigh in you. Do you want to get back? Do you want to know him? Do you thirst To be in his presence. Do you thirst? You know, when you want to sin, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord doesn't hear me. He doesn't want me unless I want to confess it and get right. But as long as that sin's got you by the throat, uh, you'll, you'll feel far, far from God. Draw, draw near to God. Draw near. I often think. The night I got saved, I was saved with my brother and his boys. I was on the second row right there with Jonathan, his little old Pentecostal church in South Richmond. Just a Tuesday night meeting, you know. Nobody goes Tuesday night but the elect. And uh, there weren't many of us. And it seemed so hard. I I Grew up old-fashioned, boy, we went to altars. You know, we had altars. You prayed through at the altar. It seemed like a million miles from that second row to go in and kneeling down front and saying, I wanted Christ. Then it hit me one day. He just asked you to come two, from two rows back. I'll, I'll come as far as I can come. I'll come from glory to Calvary. What are you willing to do to get close to God? I am thine, O Lord, I have heard thy voice, and it told thy love to me, but I long to rise in the arms of faith and be closer drawn to thee. Draw me closer. Draw me nearer, nearer, blessed Lord, to the cross where thou hast died. Draw me nearer, nearer to thy precious Bleeding side. Depth of mercy, can there be mercy still reserved for me? Can my God his wrath forbear? Me, the chief of sinners, spare? Whence to me this waste of love? Ask my advocate above. See the cause in Jesus' face, now before the throne of grace. I have long withstood his grace long provoked him to his face, would not hearken to his calls, grieved him by a thousand falls. There for me the Savior stands, show his wounds and spread his hands. God is love, is grace so free. Depth of mercy there for me. Charles Wesley. Depth of mercy. Well, he moves from our vertical and us going to God to hold on to your hope, and uh, here these Jewish converts and those being exposed to the letter of Hebrews are being tempted. Go back, go back, go back, and after they put faith, no doubt they're saying, "I, I wonder if I'll get what he said. I wonder if all will be fulfilled." I, I've trusted Christ I left the synagogue my parents have put me out of their home I I wonder if I made the right choice and He's saying don't let us hold on to our hope Hold on the gospel brings the promise of more to come and Let us let us hold fast The confession of our hope, and our hope is, I've trusted Christ and no one else. Christ, not sacrifices. Christ, not Judaism. Christ, not any other name. I trust Christ. He said, hold on to that hope, for faithful is he who promised. Listen to me. Listen. A promise is no better than the person who made it. That's profound if you can get it. You know, my kids, little kids, you know, grandchildren, oh, I'll give, I'll give you some money. You know, don't put your confidence in that. Whole lot of folks, I don't have any hope in what they say. But when God says something, faithful is he who promised, he will keep his word. He will, not because you're such a great believer, but because he's a great promise giver and he cannot lie. He cannot deny himself. He will carry through. He will carry through. And now, after he says, You hold on, you draw nigh, he says, By the way, this is what I want you to be doing to my people and for my people. Let's listen to what he says. Verse 24. And let us consider how to irritate one another to love and good works. Did you know that is the first meaning of this word? It literally was used of irritation. And and so... If you have a King James Bible, older translations, you might remember, provoke one another. You remember that? Provoke one another. Now, let me ask you, if I said, uh, uh, you said, well, boy, they just provoked me. Would that be positive or negative? Can't hear you. Yeah, yeah. But that's what the word was. Its secondary meaning was stimulate or uh, basically motivate somehow to do the right. Have you ever had anybody that your relationship to them, you'd say, they're like a thorn in my side? This is part of this word's meaning. And uh, I don't know anybody who does this in the church, except for the preacher and people getting mad at him. How to stir up, don't provoke me, don't irritate me. Stimulate, maybe, but, but the idea here is you need one another, and when a man is dying of frostbite, he needs stimulation. Wake up, wake up. You went to sleep because you're dying of cold. Wake up, walk, rub your arms, do something. What are you doing? I'm stimulating you so your blood keeps flowing so you don't die of freezing to death. And he's saying saints need to be stimulated because the age gets colder and living for God seems. Real lonely in a wicked world. Stimulate one another when you're with them, stimulate them to good works. You know what? I have to make a confession. I've never been a fan of uh, small group studies, I really haven't. But I am now more than ever because I don't think you could do verse 24 and 25 corporately. Give you an example. Now, my dear friend Jim Snyder came up and prayed for me today. That was the first. Ever since I've been here today, nobody stimulated me to love and good works. Nobody. Who stimulated you since you've been here today to love and good works? I didn't go down to church to stimulate people, I went down to sing and hear the word. Yes, Miss Irritable. Where do you do this? Where do you do? Not the preacher. He's talking to all the saints. Where do you stimulate people to good works? Do you have a stimulus effect or an irritable effect? i tell you, I'd rather be irritated into good works than just to go to sleep and do none. I grew up, I grew up, With irritable preachers and sermons that weren't afraid of any of you, they told us to pray, to get with it, to live holy, or you're going to hell. This culture is so mamby-pamby. Let's be sure the coffee's the right kind, right temperature. Be sure they like us. Be sure everything is nice and syrupy. And and nobody provokes you for God because the pulpit has been emasculated and tamed. There's no fire in pulpits, especially for pastors because you got to get along, you know, with everybody. Well, if God can't get along with you, how do you expect me to? (laughs) Ask Moses. Man, these saints were chewing on him all the... How would you like to lead that two million bunch of murmuring believers? Woo! My lands. It's strong. They're fighting for their fi- faith. They're holding on. Everything's to go back. And then I gather with the saints, and what I see here, most likely... See, I used to be down on small group studies, because I... This kind of way. There seemed to be one of two kinds. You've had a Bible study with a real gangbuster teacher, and usually in that setting, which I would be in, I was the teacher. Little discussion. One-way communicator. Me. Or, my thought was, you go to these kind that everybody was asked, what does that verse mean to you? I said, what does that verse mean to you? That's not what it means. Well, it makes me feel this way. That's not what it says. I looked at the Greek. Well, I don't know Greek. Well, you shouldn't be teaching. Well, what do you do at your study? Well, we pray together. We encourage one another. Uh, There's one of our sisters in the group, needed a little money, uh, just went through a divorce, and broke, so we took a little collection and helped them. Uh, We had them in our home. Uh, She made some friendship. Matter of fact, we're going to meet at Starbucks during the week. You did what? That doesn't sound like getting into the Word. I want the Word. What about getting into the body? What about getting into the lives? So you come in here and you sit down in the pew and say, go to it, Howard. We know you found out what the verse means. Stimulate us. And don't say anything that'll make us mad. By all means. And some of you got mad when you just saw me. I didn't say anything. You're already guilty. Here is a one another. I'm telling you Christians, you Christians, let me ask you: Who have you stimulated to love and good works since you've been here today? Most likely, none of you. Maybe in the Sunday school class, our core value class, David's class. Hey, that's okay. I wasn't feel guilty. I don't think this is the likely context that this kind of activity happened. I think we've got to get in smaller groups for it to happen, for so that introverts won't be shut down or shut out. And that what we need is not just more knowledge of the Bible, and I happen to love the Bible, but we need uh, to get over the loneliness of American culture, the isolation, and the non-functioning of the body. God wants you to encourage somebody. Thank you, whoever that was. You. I mean, many a church, I mean, their opening hymn ought to be where seldom is heard an encouraging word. Home, home on the range. You know, I I know some people really, the only time I hear from them is when they have a criticism. I never hear an encouraging word. They think they have the gift of criticism. They've got indigestion. That's not a gift. Are you negative about God's church? Well, I'll tell you one reason it's in the shape it's in you i've had people come to this church and they'll do a quicker praise and say boy your people aren't real deep are they your people aren't really i said no maybe that's why god sent you <laughs> but i'm afraid we're worse off because you showed up anybody can x-ray us it takes more than an x-ray to get you well Well, he goes on. Um, Not neglecting to meet together. That is a pitiful translation. Uh, And this is an ESV. So you you say, man, that's weak. New American Standard, and I think King James may, the word ought to be translated, not forsaking. That's the word. It's not, I casually miss a service. Uh, we went on vacation. I'm sick. By the way, in America, the average attendance in American church going is twice a month. So if you come more than twice a month, we can nominate you as a super saint. I mean, how many were here last uh, Sunday night when we heard five of our deacons give their testimony? Anybody disappointed that you came? No, no. The, I mean... But, but I know you've got to be a fanatic to ever come out Sunday night, even once a month. That's, only the fanatics do that. I, any of my people here came that felt we backslid when we quit meeting every Sunday night? Because we went all day, all of our lives. Anybody here? Any, any of the chosen few? Okay. Some of you are just too uh, lazy. You, you, you never got the habit. Feel beat up. You, you take to the Lord. Get over it. You can't meet with him enough when you're being persecuted, suffering, talked out of your faith. All of this. As my father used to say, and an Edwin Chandra testifies. My dad said, I work with women chasers, boozers, fighters, godless men all week. I can't wait to meet with people who love his name and love his word. I'm with the world all week. I want to get with some saints that love his name. Now, listen to what he says. This word for uh, forsaken, get this word. See if you get the meaning of it. Here's the word. I'm using it in the Greek. My God, my God, why have you neglected me? Come on, correct me. Edit. Forsaken. Forsaken me. That's the word. He's going to go into apostasy in the next section. If you turn back on the sun, you're going to hell. If you treat the blood that's been described in this book as an unclean thing, you're going to hell. If you do despite the spirit of God and you don't want it, you're going to hell. There's no hope for you. And yet one of the warning symptoms happens to be you've forsaken meeting with the people of God who know him because you no longer have the appetite. He says, not forsaking, abandoning, leaving in the lurch, meeting together, as is the habit of some. I've seen it. I've seen people They'll quit coming in then a little bit longer, a little bit longer, a little bit longer. Then, they get, then they're gone. People are like, where are they? They're back in sin. Because you see, we're like coals of a fire. You isolate that coal, and it will cool off. You've got to be all bunched together to keep the heat. It's a cold day, friend. We've got to be together. We've got to be together. We're the minority, a big minority. There's only a few of us in this country that know him. And it's getting worse. The younger generation, I'm not about a young people's church either. I'm about whoever's in the church that knows Christ. I want to meet with them. I don't care what your age is. I don't care how long you've been on this earth. Do you love him? Do you love his name? Do you want to gather together? Who puts that in your heart? God does. I was amazed with my father. My, m- many of my mother's people had moved to the L- area, LA area working in the tire factories down there. And most of our people were not churchgoers. And uh, they'd go down. And I remember going down. We'd see my Aunt Bernice, my Uncle Mac. We'd go to LA and be with the, her people. And uh, oh boy, they love to uh, cuss the Republicans. They, they love coffee and cigarettes. I'm telling you, they had a time. They were fun, but they, most of them didn't know God. I remember as a kid, you know, I'd wake up early, like kids do, and I'd go in there, and so many times I'd, uh, I'd go see, see my mother and say, Where's dad? I said, Where's dad? He's gone. She said, you, you know him. He's out looking up a bunch of saints somewhere. He's got to be in church on Sunday. I said, What? He said, Yeah. Yeah. And then we, he's a whistler. You can hear him when he's coming in. He'd be whistling one of the songs, talking. And he said, I don't care how small the group gets that loves Jesus and his name, I'm going to be there. What about you? What about you? Are you right now forsaking? You're here today spatially, but you're already planning your escape. (laughs) You drag in and you run out, you know. Are you planning it? Do you want to forsake the church? All I can say is the far country is desperate. It's cold. There's no God out there. Oh, God, why don't you come home? Why don't you get next to the table? Why don't you get next? Why don't you be reignited again? And then he goes on to say, listen, but encourage one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Some take that day to be the destruction of Jerusalem, 70 AD. I understand it to be the coming of the Lord. You don't know. They, They saw all kinds of signs. Draw near is what I want you to do. Cling to your hope is what I want you to do. And oh, would you desperately help my people who need stimulation for it's cold. I want them to love. I want them to keep up good works. And I want every saint in every row today, you become an encourager of fellow believers. And if you're not, you're not obeying the verse. Too many of us professionals are ruining the church because you pay us to be good, and the rest of you are good for nothing. Got us up here is the stars. There are no stars meant for the true church of Christ, but Christ alone. We are servants, and if we will do this, when you come down here, this ought to be, now yeah, you've got to be spiritual to catch this. A spiritual massage parlor. Stimulating. Don't, don't go any otherwise. You've got to be spiritual. Stay with me. Wake up. Just wake up, boy. Wake up. And I'm telling you, I have to say, I wonder why I grew so much in a small church that didn't know one hundredth of the theology we teach here. You know why? My aunts, my uncles, my brothers, my sisters, all of my family went to that little Southside church. You couldn't get in and out of the building that night without three exhortations, two encouragements, and five warnings. Man, I, my Aunt Millie, I'd go over there to see my cousin Rudy, and she's country girl. She'd bring us boys down to our knees if we were wrestling. She'd just get us right here bring us down. Country strong. She'd make me help her peel potatoes, and all the time we're doing that, she walked walk me through Proverbs 5 and 6 and 7. This is a way to date a girl. This is a way to stay pure. This is, way to, this is how you get to Richmond High. Don't sin. This is where, Auntie, I want an apple pie. What's all this? This is you being exhorted, honey. When you're in my house, I do the exhorting. You got it? Why don't you exhort? Turn off the blasted TV. Your kids are going after sin, going to hell, and we can't stop long enough to stimulate our own to God. and Good works. Oh, we're timid. The church is tame and she's as cold as she can be, and she's getting colder by the moment. He said, unless he shortened those days, only the elect would be saved because it's going to get cold and colder. We need stimulation. We need the fire. We need to thaw out. Get back the fire. Stand with me. This is the only love I'm counting on, the love of God. Mine's like a yo-yo. His is always wonderful. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. Would you maybe stimulate someone today to love and Oh, go home. I know you got to eat lunch. You've got to have another meal. We know that. Take them to lunch with you. And if you're closer money, take them to some cheapo, just for the purpose of stimulation. Just think if I was unleashing now, right now, three to 400 stimulator encouragers that people will provoke you to good works. They might even irritate you. You need to be. If you're not doing, you need a provocation to prod you unto God. The steadfast.